Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the pew rack there in front of you. We're going to be looking at Exodus 12 verses 21 through 42 this Lord's Day. If you've been with us, you know that we are now at a point in the book of Exodus where God is preparing to deliver His people from four centuries of slavery and captivity in Egypt. And He has brought plague upon plague there to Egypt and on Pharaoh and And he has just decimated the land. They are devastated, but he has still yet one plague to bring. The death of the firstborn. And as we've looked over the last few weeks, God wants the people to remember this plague. He wants them to remember their deliverance. And so he gives them two annual reminders. One in the Passover and the second in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Really two events that go together so that they might remember each year what it is God had done for them. And so now he has given that instruction to Moses, and Moses is going to give that instruction to the people. And we will find in this passage, and now the day has finally come when God's people will begin their journey out of Egypt. Out of reverence for this word that I'm going to read for you this morning, if you're able to, if you would stand, As we remember God's instruction and God's word to us. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house, of his house, until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you Come into the land that the Lord will give you as He promised. You shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For He passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when He struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. 
So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had done also had also done as Moses told them, for he had asked the Egyptians, they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they had let them have what they had asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. About 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out from Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt. And could not wait. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the Lord, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Father, we come to You in the name of Jesus. We don't need the words of man. We need Your words. We need Your commands. We need Your instruction. More than anything, foundationally, we need the truth of the Gospel to be so transparent to us today as we walk through this Word that it cuts to our hearts and convicts And draws us to repentance. Father, we ask that You would do that work through the power of Your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the name of Christ, our Lord and King. Amen. You may be seated. I recently came across a quote by church historian Claire Davis that's kind of stuck with me in recent weeks as I've been studying through the book of Exodus, he said this, the Christian life is a combination of amnesia and deja vu. Meaning that we come to the point where we say, I know that I've forgotten this before. See, the Christian life is a series of reminders for us. Reminders of things we once learned, but things we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. And so we are given the instruction as followers of Christ to to, to read God's Word, to meditate on God's Word. The psalmist in Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who meditates. He delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. And so we are to encourage one another to spend time in the Word of God. And often with that encouragement, people will talk about how they can read a passage over and over again and each time get something entirely new out of it. That They can read through the Gospel of Matthew and then read through it again and say, well, man, I found out so much more I didn't see the first time. And over and over as they read it, they can find more and more new things. And that's good. We should read the Word and we should discover new things. But friends, let's not forget that fundamentally we need to read the Word to be reminded of the things we've already learned. We, 
it's a good thing to learn new things, but we would do well just to remember the things we learned last Lord's Day. To remember the things we sang about five minutes ago. And to be reminded often of the Gospel. And God, knowing our tendency to forget, gives us in His Word these constant reminders. And He gave His people, the Israelites of old, constant reminders. And as we've looked at already, He he did this in the form of these feasts, of these meals. He gave them the Passover meal. He gave them the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And He gives us today, His church, the Lord's Supper. These are meals that when we take them, they remind us because we so often need to be reminded. I have a quote on my wall in the office by 18th century author and poet Samuel Johnson. He said it this way, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And so my goal this Lord's Day as we continue through the book of Exodus is to remind you of some things. Perhaps you may learn something new, but I hope more than anything, you and I are reminded of the truths that we've heard many times before. And my prayer is that those truths will take root in us today. Because we, like God's people, have a tendency to forget. As we look back in ancient on the ancient Hebrews, as we look back on this time that had in Egypt, we might think, well, how, how could they ever forget what God had done? Uh, he, he brought them out of Egypt in such dramatic fashion. How could they ever forget? And yet, God knows that will be their tendency. And so He gives them these reminders. So that as He mentions in this passage, when their children ask, why are we having this meal? They can then say to them, here's why. And so I want to look at these reminders Again, in hopes that we will be reminded. Beginning with that first point there in your outline. We see here, we're reminded that the Passover is a picture of the Gospel. The Passover is a picture of the Gospel. We discussed this at length a few weeks ago. What you have here in the Passover meal for God's people is a reminder as to how they will be saved. Remember, death is going to come on every home in Egypt. Not just on the homes of the Egyptians. It's going to come on the homes of the Israelites. Death will come to every home. And that death will either be the firstborn or that death will be the Passover lamb. But but someone, something's going to die. And so we're reminded as we look back on what we've already read and talked about in Exodus 12 there, verse 5. God's people were instructed to take a lamb, a lamb without blemish. And so Moses now gives this instruction uh, to the elders of Israel there in Egypt. He tells them to take this lamb and he reminds them that this lamb will serve as a sacrifice. And we live in a day and age where this seems very far removed from us. I can't speak for everyone here, but personally, Sandy and the kids and I have never gathered together on a Lord's Day and Sacrificed an animal before we came to church. If you do that, interesting. But you know, we, we don't we don't do that. So so I don't know personally what it is to experience this, but I can know from looking back in history. I can know from looking back in the scripture. In fact, one thing that just kind of struck me recently, one of the kids and I were watching a movie. If you've seen the Nativity Story, it's a depiction about ten years ago. I think came out. 
depiction of what led up to the birth of Jesus. And there's this, this scene in it where one of the leaders is preparing to make a sacrifice. It was an annual sacrifice there. And so they bring this bull to him and he puts his hand on the horns of the bull as these servants hold it and he touches his head to the head of the bull. And then that bull is slaughtered. And what he was doing there is very consistent with what we know happened in ancient Israel. When they would sacrifice the animal, they would see that animal as a substitute for them. They would touch their head to that head so that they were thinking that this, this animal is taking on my sin, is being sacrificed in my place. Now, of course, we know from the Scripture that that animal did not take their place, but it was a picture of one who was to come. And so the Passover lamb, year after year, as it's being sacrificed, years when they're in the land of promise, children are asking, now why are we doing this again? And the leaders then would say, oh, let me tell you why we're doing this. Because there was a night, not so long ago, when death came upon the land that we were held captive in. But God provided a, a way of salvation for us. And of course, we have the description of it here. He tells the leaders they were to take that lamb and to put the door, the blood on the doorpost, and then wherever the Lord passed over that, that had blood on the doorpost, on the lintel, where death did not come to that home because death had already come to that home through that substitute, through that sacrifice. It is a reminder for us today, as it was a picture for God's people then of the perfect Lamb of God who would be sacrificed. And that's why John the Baptist, as Jesus comes to him, makes that bold proclamation, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even in that prophetic statement John makes, he is indicating this is the Lamb who will be slain. It is His blood then that will cover our sin. And so we are reminded of this gospel as we come into this text that we now hold fast to today. This gospel that reminds us that every one of us in this room was indeed born in sin. That Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And no matter what we do, no matter how good we try to be, well, we cannot overcome that fact. And we also cannot overcome the due penalty for our sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Blood is required. And we're reminded that it is the blood of Christ that covers our sin. Ephesians 1.7, in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And so we have this, this picture here, this importance, this reminder that God gives His people year after year after year. Let me ask you a question today. Why do we need to be reminded of the Gospel? Or more importantly, let me ask you this. How do you respond when you are reminded of the Gospel? When I start down that road, I just started down of all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. How do you respond to that? How do you respond when we sing songs about the Gospel and about the blood of Christ? How does that affect you this morning? 
Did you hear that and rejoice and just celebrate and want to jump out of your seat and say, that's good news? Or perhaps, have you heard it so many times that it's kind of become old news? That it's kind of become, oh yeah, I, yeah, I know that. You know, yeah, I've heard that a lot of times. Yeah, I know that. Sandy and I, a couple months ago, a few months ago, I probably should know the exact date, uh, in September, we celebrated our anniversary. We've been married 21 years. And if you've got children and you're in that same range, you know sometimes you don't celebrate on the day of your anniversary. So it was about a month later, I think, and we went out to eat. Imagine this scenario. I'm there with my wife. We're out to dinner. We're celebrating our anniversary. And she looks to me and says... Richard, I love you. And that, that could happen. Now imagine if when she said to me, Richard, I love you, my response was this. That's all you got? I mean, you've told me you love me a bunch of times. That's, that's really it? I mean, it's 21 years now. Don't, don't you have something else you could say? If that took place, you probably wouldn't look at our relationship and say, things are going well. (laughs) No, when she tells me she loves me, and I think about that, sometimes I think, really? I'm not that skinny, tan, surfer guy from the coast of North Carolina with a full head of hair, getting fat. I'm starting to grow some hair on my face because it's the only place I can grow hair. It, it, is, it is retreating quickly. And if anyone knows my issues, my irritabilities, my grumpiness, it's the person that I've lived with for 21 years now. So when they say to me, I love you, then that invokes a response in me Well, I am grateful for that all the more. How much more then when I hear the Gospel that I responded to decades ago, how much more then should I rejoice in the Word that God loves me? The God who knows my sin better than anyone else does. Better than I know. The God who I have offended time and time again. The God who I have sinned against time and time again. When I hear the truth proclaimed that that God demonstrated His love toward me and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Friends, that's good news no matter when you hear it. And it should be good news no matter how often you hear it. And if the good news has become old news, Maybe you didn't respond in repentance and faith when you heard the good news. Now maybe you responded intellectually that, yeah, I understand that, I got the math, I see what happened here, but maybe you didn't truly repent. And so as you think today about your response to the gospel, if, if it is casual, if it doesn't invoke anything, If it's just kind of, oh yeah, I know that. 
that may be an indicator that you've never actually responded to that gospel like you think you have. And God gives us indicators of this. He gives us ways to kind of to look and see, have I truly responded to this gospel truth? And we can see some of them here in the text. We can be reminded as we just ask ourselves basic questions. Ask yourself now, who is calling the shots in your life today? Who determines what you believe? And who determines how you behave? And who determines your actions? We live in a culture that overwhelmingly says that I determine, that, that I, I go with my heart, I trust my instincts, I, I just, you know, I've always had this feeling inside. And we can see the carnage of that, can't we? The scripture reminds us that we don't even know our own heart, and what we know of it deceives us. <laughs> Now the Scripture reminds us there's a better way and God gives us the Gospel and in response to that Gospel then we can see indicators. Have we truly repented? And I think we see some indicators here even in this passage in Exodus 12 which leads us to that next point there. The, the Gospel calls us then to worship and obedience. Point two, the Gospel calls us to worship and obedience. Notice the response of God's people Again, let me remind you that this is a finicky people. That they are fickle. That they have spent centuries in slavery. And then Moses comes as the deliverer. And remember just that initial response to Moses while he was still in the house of Pharaoh as he slays that Egyptian. Their initial response is not to follow him. And so he flees and he's gone 40 years and then now he comes back to deliver them and he shares with them this good news and what God has told him through the burning bush experience and they rejoice and they're excited but then their burdens are increased. The Pharaoh doesn't respond well to Moses' message that he's to let the people go so Pharaoh puts more and more hardship and burden on the people. You remember how they respond? Now they don't cry out to God. They go and cry out to Pharaoh. <laughs> and then when they're done crying out to Pharaoh, they're, they're leaving. The picture we have is that as they encounter Moses, that they actually just curse him. You brought this on us, Moses. But now God has brought all these plagues and now God has provided this, this means of salvation. And now they hear this message. And now I think they, they get it right. Notice there in verse 27. God tells them what's going to happen. Or Moses tells them what the Lord said, what's going to happen. And notice their response, verse 27. And the people, they bowed their heads and worshipped. That, that word in the Hebrew for worship actually means to, to bow oneself down, to, to fall, to pay homage to, to, to implore. And so here's the picture. Okay, God, God gives them this word. And in response to this word, the people literally fall down on their knees. And then the Scripture says, they just lay themselves out before the Lord. And they're just crying out to God, God, thank You that You have now saved us. And they're just crying out. And they're screaming out. And they're bowing down. That was their worship. 
how do we respond to God's Word today? We, we call this a time of worship. But so often, how, how do we respond as we're singing about the truth of God? Do we even sing? How often do we respond as God's words being presented to us? Do, do we even engage? Or as we're singing this great truth <laughs> written by the great reformer Martin Luther, who was celebrating just the truth of the gospel and the gospel of grace and, and just the greatness of God that salvation did not rest in our hands, but it rested in the hands of God. And he would pen this hymn that we would still sing today. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that might be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord, Sabbath His name from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. How do you respond when you hear that truth? The mighty fortress is our God. <laughs> You know, there used to be a paper airplane in one of those lights. I wonder who got it down. Are those real stained glass windows? He's wearing a bow tie again. And that beard? Come on. I'm not going to say anything. Oh, wait. Oh, man, I got lunch in five minutes. I hope he wraps it up soon. I just, this song, I don't get much out of this song. Gosh, we're going to sing every stanza? Come on. This is going to last forever. So often, friends, that's how we respond. If, if we're even engaged to know what it is people around us are singing. So hear me on this. I, I'm not saying this morning that if you don't, just stand up and sing and get excited when we worship. I'm not saying that you're going to hell. But I am saying you might be. Hear this. If when you hear the Gospel proclaimed, and when you hear us sing about the Gospel, and when you hear the Gospel taught from God's Word, if that doesn't invoke some response in you, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not saved, but it very well could mean you're not saved. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to spend eternity under the wrath of God, but it certainly could mean that. And if it could mean that, then you need to give it some attention today. If I lay down in my bed at night and I think there might be a chance I didn't lock the doors, you know what I do? I get up and go check the doors. And I'm getting, oh, I forget stuff all the time. I, I can't, you know, maybe I left my wallet in the car. I go out and check the wallet. Sometimes I'm walking from the truck into the store. Uh, I don't know, it's one beep or two that is locked. So did I lock it? So I go back and I'm sitting there pushing the button to see if it's locked and because I want to know that it is. I want to have some assurance, some confidence in these things. I, I don't want to just lay there or walk around not being sure. If that concerns you, if you're concerned about your house being locked and your car being locked, how much more should you be concerned about the eternal state of your soul? And if there's just a, a hint there that perhaps you're not as secure as you thought you might be, then 
But maybe you need to pay some attention to that this morning. So the question would be, how do you do that? How, how, how do you check? I mean, I can tell you if the doors are locked because I can see whether the deadbolt's twisted or not. How do you know for sure that you've trusted in Christ? We have indicators from the Scripture. The Scripture reminds us of these things, and we see a reminder here. Principally, notice how the people respond to the truth of God's Word. Not only do they worship, but verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Do you see what they did there? They not only worshiped God, they obeyed God. Do you obey God? Are you an obedient person to the Lord? If God's Word says, do this, is that what you do? If God's Word says, don't do this, do you flee from that? God's Word is very, very clear on so many issues in our life. But far too many people spend little time looking to the Word to give them instruction because they really just don't want to know what God says. Sometimes we know enough about what He says, we don't really want to find out more. Well, yeah, I know that's, I know that's wrong for most people, but you know, I'm, I've got my own... I'm good. God's probably just talking about somebody whose heart's in the wrong place on that one. I mean, my heart's in the right place. I mean, God's probably saying don't do that if you don't really love the person. But I mean, I love them, so I should be able to. I would encourage you today to take a walk through Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, you have this very clear presentation of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit versus walk in the flesh. And as you read those lists, perhaps you will find there are things there, indicators that we are walking in the flesh that are evident in your life, in my life, that we need to then just repent of. And there are evidence of the fruit of the Spirit there that we need to long for and run towards. God's Word is so clear. The question is, are we obedient to it? And we see here in Exodus 12 a picture of an obedient people, but we also see a picture of one who is disobedient, one who has disregarded the instruction of God time and time again, one who continues to remain unrepentant, and yet he wants God to bless him. That brings us to that third point there in your outline, a reminder there is no blessing apart from obedience. Notice what happens here. The, the plague comes upon Egypt and the firstborn dies. It is vast. We're, we're reminded here from the firstborn of the Pharaoh to the firstborn of the captive in the Pharaoh's dungeon to the firstborn of the livestock. Death is required. And so Moses comes up and now there's no, or excuse me, Pharaoh comes up now, there's no conditions. He doesn't say to Moses and Aaron, well, part of you can go or you can go, but you can't take this. He says, all of you go get out. But notice what he says there in verse 32. After he tells them to be gone, he says, and bless me also. You know? I don't know about you, but that, that can seem a bit out of place, doesn't it? I mean... Here's Pharaoh basically saying, just get out of here. I mean, Pharaoh has just had his firstborn die. 
And now he calls in Moses and Aaron and says, just go. But then this parting instruction, but, but bless me also. We've seen a picture of Pharaoh as one already who knew he was wrong, who knew God was right, who even made that confession at times, but we've seen him as one who refuses to repent. And yet here he asks for a blessing. Dr. John Curie from Reformed Theological Seminary in his commentary explains it this way. He says, what we can say with certainty is that there was no real repentance on the part of Pharaoh. He gave no recognition of any personal responsibility. He wanted the blessing without the liability, the shame, or the consequences. He simply desired the plagues to be gone. We know this to be the case because once the immediate shock following the final plague had subsided, the Egyptian king pursued the Hebrews in order to destroy them. And so, so here's the picture we have. We have one who refuses to obey God and refuses to repent, and yet they want God to bless them. Does that sound in any way familiar today? Friends, that, that, is, that is our world today. That, that is a picture of our culture today. A culture where if you stand up and say, well, well, give me a second here, let me tell you what the Word of God says, what does the culture say back? Well, that's judgmental. Well, that's archaic. Well, who even believes that anymore? Well, who are you to judge? Well, well, how do we know for certain that that's really what God intended the Word to say? I mean, people have, have changed all those words. And will say anything but, I need to change. I need to repent. A, a culture that will respond in anger towards the truth of God's Word. And yet, that very same culture will do what? Watch the evening news. Lottery gets high. People are standing in line. Many of whom perhaps have no desire to obey God. But when they are standing in line to buy that ticket, what do they say? Lord Jesus! Come on, Lord! I hope I got the right numbers this time. Lord, would You just bless me? You go to a hospital waiting room. And you may find yourself surrounded with people who have no regard for the Word of God, no desire to obey God. And yet, they will quickly say, well, will you pray for me? Will you pray God just heals here? We are a people, sadly often in the church, who desire the blessing of God, and yet we live completely contrary to the Word of God. I heard one pastor say it this way, God does not bless what His Word forbids. And so if you find yourself this morning, on one hand, calling out to God and seeking blessing from God and praying to God and at the same time completely disobeying something God has said clearly in His Word you should do or should not do, And friends, you will sadly find one day as you stand before a holy God what the truth was. 
But you may find yourself today in a different situation. You may find yourself today in a place where you are seeking to walk with the Lord and you're seeking to walk by faith and you hear this whole idea of blessing and you think, well, that all sounds well and good, but I'm seeking to walk by faith and I'm repenting and I'm trying to obey, but life is just a mess right now. And you're surrounded by sickness and suffering. Broken promises and broken families. And your circumstances just scream out to you that you're not blessed by God. Or at least you don't feel that way. And friends, let me bring you back to where we started. <laughs> when I got up here this morning, when Pastor Nick did the call to worship, when when David got up to pray for an offering, when Pastor Matt got up to lead us in worship, I don't know if you noticed this, but not one of us asked you how you were feeling. And I'll say this as graciously as I can. I don't care how you feel today. <laughs> I get up in this pulpit some Sundays, I don't feel so great. Sometimes, if I just focused on feelings, but the Christian life is not about how you feel. The Christian life is about what you know. Amen? And what we need to be reminded of today is not how we feel. What we need to be reminded of today is what can we know. And what we can know is the truth of the Gospel. And what we can hold firm to is the truth of the Gospel. That there is indeed a God who saves. Not just the people of Israel in ancient Egypt, but He still saves today. And there's a God who snatches us up out of the darkness, out of our sin, and He too leads us to the land of promise. And no matter what may come in this world, God has rescued us. And God has secured us. And no matter how up and down this temporal world may be, He has given us a firm foundation and eternity to rest on. And, and we should feel good about that. But even if we don't, it doesn't change the truth of what it is. And I want to leave you just with one last just kind of picture and reminder of what we can know. Last point there in your notes. We, we see in this picture that the Lord is faithful to watch over His people. Notice this. At the end here, verse 40, we're reminded of God's faithfulness. If you remember, back when, Moses, when God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, He told him exactly what He was going to do. He even told him, on your way out, you're going to plunder the people. And notice that's exactly what's happened here. Now, now don't confuse that with blessing. <laughs> don't think just because they got the gold and silver that they're just the blessed people. Remember, They've been there for centuries and now they're leaving so quickly they don't even have enough time to pack the proper provisions. They're leaving everything behind. And while they're getting this gold and silver, many of them are going to use that for wickedness. Because at the first sign that their leader's not around and wondering what God's doing, they're going to melt it down into a big cow and they're going to bow down and worship that. Now the blessing isn't the gold and silver, the blessing is found in verse 42. In the night, as they're leaving, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. We have 
one more contrast to the true God of Israel and the false gods of Egypt. The chief God of the Egyptians was the sun god Ra. He was reborn every day as the sun came up. He was sovereign over that day. But at night, he would descend into the underworld only to battle and be reborn every day. So there was no confidence for the Egyptians at night. There was no sovereignty of their god at night. Their god was in the underworld fighting for his place so that he might be reborn and re-rise. But here we're reminded that with our God, he is sovereign over the day and he is sovereign over the night. And in the darkness, He is there. And in the darkness, He is watching over His people. And in the darkness, when they might be tempted like we today, to wonder, God, are are You really there? We can know that He is. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So what does that truth mean for us today? I'll close with this word. Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or darkness, or danger, or sword, or you might add to that, any other type of darkness? No. No. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the truth, and that is what you can know, and that is what we hold firm to. And so the question as we close today is, have you responded to that truth? Is that word good news to you right now? Or is it old news? And if it's not good, then maybe you need to check and see if the doors are locked. If the keys are in the truck. Maybe you need to take some time to walk through this Word and be sure and rest on the truth that for those in Christ, we can be secure. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the right life. I write these things to those of you who believe in the same name of the Son of God so that you may know, know, know that you have eternal life. If you would stand and pray with me. Father, as we come to this time in our our worship, I pray that we would worship. I pray, Lord, that as we sing, that we would really consider what we're singing. And for those who have truly responded to the gospel, that there would be joy. That there would be encouragement. That that there would just be a reminder of the knowledge that we have of what you have done. That you have saved. For others, Lord, as we sing, perhaps they find themselves today in the night, in the darkness, tempted to wonder if you're there and if you care, I pray that they would be reminded that you are sovereign over the light and the darkness. And that for those who are truly your children, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Father, I pray today as we sing that we'd be reminded, that we'd be repented, 
And Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.